Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. This is Making Waves at Sea Level. This is the podcast that I started over seven years ago, and we are now over 700 episodes talking to people about how do you make waves? How do you shake things up in the world of business? And today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about if you're in business, whether you're the leader or you're working for the company, how do you sort of go your own way? How do you forge your own path and not have to totally always be in lockstep in order to find success? However, if you do that, you might get a bloody nose or a skinned knee along the way. And that's what our guest is going to talk to us about. Today, we are joined by Ed Rigsby. Hey, Ed, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be here. Glad to have you here. We're going we're gonna to have some fun with this conversation. But before we get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Now, full disclosure, I've worked with Stanton Chase for the last couple of years. So if you're looking to grow your senior leadership team, reach out to me and I'll put you in touch with the best person in the world, in your industry to help you find the right key hires. All right, so today we're going to talk about some of those key hires going their own way, shaking the trees, making things happen. For those of you who don't know Ed Rigsby, he has done all kinds of things in his career, and he now works both on the association side and the speaker side of the world, which means he has two groups he runs. One is for association CEOs. He helps them find how to run their association better. And he has a group where he helps speakers learn to sell to associations. And then sometimes he tries to bring all those people together because at his heart, Ed is a connector. He likes to bring people together for community and collaboration. He actually started his career in retail sales. He sold sunglassware to retailers. And in doing that, he would do presentations and he would be presenting how his product works so well against some of the bigger name brands, etc. And what he discovered was he was pretty good in front of an audience. And so then he became a professional speaker. And that led him into doing all the things he's doing today. And along the way, he skinned his knee a few times and maybe gotten a bloody nose or two, but it doesn't slow him down. So Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I'm happy to be here. And um, thanks for talking about my bloody noses and skin knees. I've had plenty. (laughs) So, Ed, let's just jump into this. Why have you always been one who took the road less traveled? Tell us about sort of your the way you grew up in business. You know, um, Tom, I I don't know why I've always been kind of a a street fighter, just wanting to do it different. Maybe it's just my my DNA, my makeup. I've got two adult sons that, (laughs) you ready for this? They can't work for anybody either. They have their own businesses. (laughs) Um, I guess the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. But, you know, I, I I see patterns, I see holes where others don't. And when I see a, a pattern or a hole where others has a need that wants to be filled, I just kind of jump into working on that. And, and, and frequently it's without permission. Frequently it's, oh, let's you know get forgiveness rather than permission because getting permission, it would never happen. And, and you know, 
it, it's I was a soccer referee for 12 years and there was a term that I, I would always hear the soccer players when they made a mistake and I always thought it was kind of stupid. They'd say my bad. Um, here I am all these years later. I'm always saying my bad. And 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 a lot of times if, if I do something and it goes to, you know, you know where um, I made too many waves <laughs> to where it stirred too much up. Um, then yeah, I says, yeah, sorry, my bad. You know, we'll, we'll move on. So why do you think this is good advice for people in business? So often we're told, you know, get in line, do the work, go home, show up the next day, get in line, do the work, show up the next day. Why do you think it's good for individuals to kick a few tires and push a few walls down? You know, Tom, um, my wife is a Trekkie. She forces me to watch Star Trek whether I want I, to or not. I, I like her already. And in uh, one episode in uh, Star Trek, the second generation, uh, Picard and uh, Q, the omnipotent being, have a, a little tiff. And um, Picard goes back and wants to fix some of his mistakes. And then Q showed him, well, if you do that now, uh, present day, you're, you're not a, a captain of the Enterprise anymore. You're, you're a science officer. And, you know, it's. I think that, that this might be, I think we have a destiny. And, and I think that we can either fulfill our destiny, just, you know, do the best we can, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, or we can wuss out and go hide in a safe place. And, and you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that wuss out and hide in a safe place. And for whatever reason, God bless them, and, you know, because we need people to do all kinds of things. Um, you know, you think of the book Brave New World, you know, they were the, the alphas and the betas. And, and you know, so you, you need people to pick up the trash, but you also need people to think their way through things. So it, it, it I, I just think that that it, it would be sad on my deathbed if I said, oh, man, you know, I, I wish I wouldn't take taking so many chances. It'd be sad if I said, boy, I'm so glad I, I took it safe at every turn. And, and, and my career at the post office was amazing. <laughs> well, I love your example of Captain Picard and the fact that if he hadn't taken chances, if he hadn't made mistakes, if he hadn't tried things and asked for forgiveness and not permission, he never would have made it to Captain and never would have saved the universe umpteen million times uh, as Captain Picard always did. And he would have just had a nice, simple life as a science officer. So I do think there's something to be said for that because I spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs. I live in Austin, Texas. It's one of the biggest tech entrepreneurs growth towns in the history you know, of the world. Austin's on fire right now. And the, the entrepreneurs that I know and that I get the chance to run into around town, many of them just can't sit still. They've got to constantly be breaking down a wall and rebuilding a new wall. And it's because of that that they've been able to create thousands of jobs and a lot of equity and all of this different stuff. So I think that you're on the right path here. But some of the people who are listening might be the CEOs of companies and they're like, wait a minute, this is good for me, but I'm not sure I should let my people be the ones who are making mistakes and trying things left and right. Do you think it's smart for executives to give sort of a long runway to their people? When I was in the sunglass business, my boss's name was Ray Kahn. He used to tell me, he says, Ed, if you make a mistake, cool, got your back. He goes, if you keep making the same mistake and you're not learning, you know, I really don't need you. And, and, and I, that stuck with me my entire life that I, I think that, that any CEO, any boss, 
you know, you, you want, you know, you, you spend money to bring people into your organization, to train them, to put them in various places. You want them to take risks. You want them to, to make mistakes. You want them to see what others miss. Just like I see different patterns. There's a number of your employees will see different patterns. They easily see things that you miss where you're not being as efficient or as effective. And if you're going to spend this money to train them, why would you throw them out the window if they make a mistake? No, no, that that's just part of the, the cost of doing business. And so, you know, it, it's one um, with my first book, the, um, the art of partnering, I interviewed a guy, uh, I went to Steelcase headquarters in uh, Michigan and then one of his dealers out in Southern California, I went and visited him and he handed me uh, a little card and, and it says permission on it. And I said, well, what's this? And he says, well, you know, I, I don't want to be the bottleneck. He says, I found that I was the bottleneck in the organization. People weren't making decisions if I wasn't around. And that created problems. So what I wanted to do is try to train them as well as I could and as soon as that they saw that I gave them a permission because I had these this uh, like a card holder of permission cards sitting on his desk, and he said that he trains people that hey, any decision you make while well, I'm gone, I'll back it. Staple the permission card that you that you that I've given you permission, and I back it. Now I may reserve the right to tell you next time do it a different way, but I'll back it. And 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 that uh, that. Silkey's dealer did exceedingly well because of that. I think that when we, um, and I used to sell permission cards like that in a lot of my, uh, uh, back of the room for lots of my workshops. <laughs> but I, I, I think the thing, Tom, is that, that a lot of times people are afraid to make a decision. I've had, I had um, one business owner tell me, you know, uh, I saw him about a year or two later after a presentation, he bought some permission cards. He said, let me tell you a story. I said, what's that? He goes, well, you know, um, I forgot the woman's name, Susie, let's call her. Uh, you know, what she told me, I, I asked her, I said, well, why haven't you taken a permission card? And she says, I don't need one. They're there. That's all I need. <laughs> so, I, you know, the, these little things that, that come back to me that where people use some of the ideas, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you've got to give your employees permission. If, if, if you are a dictator, and and you want everybody to kowtow, well, then you're going to, you know, have a uh, economy, something akin to Venezuela. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just don't think that that's the way to go. So early in my career, I learned something very similar. So I, I worked in college for the photography company that did all the fraternity and sorority parties at my university. And I was a photographer. And then my, my last year in college, I was the senior photographer, which meant I booked everybody out. And this is the mid to late 1980s. And so computers in business were relatively new. And it's a small business. I think there were, you know, four full-time employees and a couple of part-time employees. And we had all these contract photographers. And uh, the boss had gotten a, a, a personal computer. And I was fascinated with it. I wanted to learn about it. It was the first time I'd really had been exposed to one. And his right-hand person, his name was Joel. He's one of the best bosses I ever had because he really cared about the people who worked for him. And he gave us permission to do our jobs our way. And Lori was his right hand. And so she, one day, we had some free time at lunch. She was going to teach me how a computer worked. So she's walking me through how you put a disc in, how you do things. I mean, this is a very rudimentary 1980s computer. And at one point, it asked a question. 
And it said, do you want to format the hard drive? Y for yes, in for no. And she tells me, she's teaching me, she goes, no, we don't want to do that because it would erase everything and put the computer back to as it was when he bought it at the computer store because that's where he used to buy computers at the computer store. And so she goes, so we want to push the no, the in, and her finger went to the Y. And she essentially rebooted his entire computer, which had everything. Now, he he was in the process of transferring everything to the business, so there still were some hard copies of most of the important documents, but a lot of the recent finances were there. And his fiance's doctoral thesis or master's degree thesis was on the computer. Now, it had already been turned in in hard copy, but her only backup was on the computer. She literally said the words, so we pushed the in, and her finger hit the Y. But the truth is, that could happen to anybody, right? I think we call that a brain fart. She was saying the right words, and her finger just went to the wrong key because her eye was focused on the Y. She pushed the Y. She erased his whole computer. Then she had to tell him, I was teaching Tom how to use a computer, and we were both scared. I really didn't feel I was going to get fired. She thought she was going to get fired, but we were both really scared. And she told him, and he got a little bit emotional. He got cold. He got quiet. He walked outside. He came back 10 minutes later and he said, all right, we're going to deal with this. Here's what was on it that we have to replace. Here's what we're going to do. He came up with a plan of how to find everything. You know, his fiance who worked for us also was just really hopeful that the professor didn't lose the, uh, the, the, the paper that she had turned in for that she had worked on for two years. And on top of all of that, he said to her something I'll never forget. And he said, that was an honest mistake. It was a stupid mistake, but it was just an honest mistake. I'm not going to fire you because you're too important to me. My guess is you'll never make a mistake like that again. And she was like, no, I won't. And we returned to business as normal within that day. And it became a long running joke. However, I'm sure that throughout her career, and she's been very successful in a million things she's done, she's never accidentally pushed the wrong button on the computer. And I can promise you that probably saved me from doing it three different times because it was like, am I really pushing the right button? So his reaction as a boss is something I've never forgotten that he could have exploded. He could have fired her. He could have yelled. He could have thrown a chair, but instead he stepped outside. He breathed. He came in and said, okay, let's fix the problem. That's a good boss. So I, I wanted to share that based on your, your story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. It's a great story. <laughs> so, how in the world do you keep re-innovating? I mean, when I look at the stuff, you know, you have these different uh, groups that you run, you run a nonprofit charity organization, you still speak to companies and do different things. How is it that at your age, and you know, you're creeping up there a little bit, how <laughs> is it How is it you keep innovating and reinventing yourself and keep swinging for the fences? You know, that's an interesting question. I'm not completely sure that I know how I do it, um, but let me attack it a little bit. You know, Tom, I, I I have failed in a number of things, and maybe because I've failed in a number of things, I've learned that failure is not the end of the world. And, you know, I've heard it said many times that you only learn from failures, you don't learn from your successes. That may or may not be true. Um, maybe it would have been a little bit easier to have learned from more successes than failures. But because of the fact that, you know, a lot of stuff that I try doesn't work, and, and I just, you know, I, I, I walk away and go, okay, well, that was a brain fart. That was whatever that did. It just, it just didn't work. And, and I could, you know, you and I could have a, a lot of laughs 
of some of the things that I've done at Cigar Peg at, at the NSA conferences that <laughs> didn't work. I can think of and one thing. I'm, I can think of one thing in particular, but we won't go there. Well, you know, there was another. Hire the right incident. entertainment is all I'll say. There, there was another similar incident, incident 15 or so years before that. And, you know, it's just, I, I keep, I throw stuff against the wall. I mean, again, I, earlier I said, I, I see things differently. I see different patterns. I see holes. I see where, you know, like, like recently, um, starting the, the virtual speakers hall of fame. Okay. It, it, honestly, yeah, it was kind of a joke. It's like, oh, wouldn't this be fun to do? And then as I got going on it, you know, I, I gave myself permission to go beyond just fun and start seeing the possibilities. Oh, we could do this. We could do this. Oh, we could connect it to the showcase. Oh, we could. And and then all of a sudden, um, year and a half later, you know, or so, it, it's something that matters. And people are signing up for the showcases. You've done one of the showcases. And, and it creates value for people that want to sell their services to association execs. Just, just one example of just something that, you know, uh, kicking things around. I mean, even like um, um, the, uh, the association executive group that you were on earlier today with me uh, talking about LinkedIn, I was sitting at Joel Block's house having a cigar and something came up about, you know, Ed, you should try this idea of office hours. Well, what would that look like? Yada, 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 yada. And I went back and thought, well, let me make some adjustments here and um, went and put it out there. Son of a gun. People signed up. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I mean, I put it out there free for the first couple of months right at the beginning of the pandemic. And then again, I started realizing it was so much work after a couple months. I said, hey guys, everybody's going to have to financially support this thing a little bit. And, and of the 150 people in, we lost 125, but 25 stayed and they were willing to financially support the the endeavor. So it, it's just this continual, I see a hole, I see a problem, I see an idea. What the heck? Let's roll the dice and see if it's possible. Now, I'm not trying to say that, oh, wouldn't it be awesome next time I'm at the Rockefeller uh, Center and at the top of the Rockefeller building to climb up on the top of the plastic and see if I can hang there and not fall over. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not talking about doing stupid things. I think... It's important. I mean, you know, risk is is judged by, you know, when you go to Las Vegas, it's risk because you really don't know what's going to happen. But if you try something, you go, well, it's either this is going to happen, it's going to fall on its face, or that's going to happen, it's probably going to launch. And then, you know, put together the things to mitigate the falling on its face and, you know, try to do more of what's going to help it to launch. And, you know, I would say, you know, more times than not, I get a launch. So what advice do you have for people who, who, who like this idea of trying new things and shaking things up a little bit? And, and you know, again, nothing you said is, you know, st starting a group or, or starting a, a virtual speaker hall of fame that is now led to a website where people can actually go and watch videos of speakers if they're looking to hire somebody. That's a great service, both for the company that's looking to hire a speaker and for the speakers who are part of the showcases, sure. you know. We're not talking about like, you know, burning things down. We're talking about trying an idea. If it doesn't work, you shut it down. If it works, you know, you monetize it, you move forward. But for people who are a little bit paralyzed and they think, oh, I should do more of that type of stuff, what advice do you have for them to, to just get out there and try? Well, I, I, I would say that everybody's got different levels of, uh, 
ability to deal with risk. And, um, you know, like as an example, when we talk about, you know, the Virtual Speakers Hall of Fame worked, well, several years ago, uh, I created Speaker Watch and to, to, to rank when bureaus paid speakers and how long it took them. And it didn't work because 90% of the speakers were afraid to share that information for fear of reprisal. So it didn't work, you know, and tried it for a year or two and then go, yeah. Part of it too is, is, is an, uh, a willingness to go, okay, I tried something, not be so, so married to it that I can't let go of it. And if I'm going to try something, I go, okay, well, what's the worst going to happen? You know, it's like if, if, if I'm a cubicle worker and I try something, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're probably not going to fire me. What are they going to move into a crummier cubicle? No, you know, I'll just get a little slap on the wrist. And, and what's the best? Well, who knows? Maybe I'll get a promotion or maybe I'll figure out a way to do something quicker, better, faster. So I think it's for anybody, whether you are a, a, a and, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but whether you're a cubicle worker or whether you are an entrepreneur. Now, if you work for a union, my advice doesn't apply. I've been a union member a few times in my life, and there is no reason to do any better because they don't want you to do it. And, and they don't encourage the internal entrepreneur spirit because they don't no. want you doing someone else's job. Not at all. So if, if you're if you're working for a union, sorry, man, can't help you. But but whether you're you know, you're working in an office in a cubicle or whether you're, you know, uh, working your way up to uh, make waves at the sea level. It's the idea that you've got to be willing to, if you see something, and it's not always that maybe I would see it. It's like when I use the example of uh, when Joel Block suggested the office hours. It's like people throw ideas out and it's like, oh, yeah, hey, let's go play with it. You know, not, not, protect myself and go, well, that's a lousy idea. It wasn't my idea. And a lot of things, Tom, that I've, I've done that were su- succeeded, they weren't my ideas. <laughs> they were other people's ideas. And I just like, sure, let's do it. And so, so don't be hung up on whose idea it is. Don't be hung up on what's going to be the ramifications. Um, don't be hung up if, if you try it. Don't have such an emotional ownership that you can't admit that maybe something isn't working. And the other thing is, I find if you can get enough other people on board, you know, um, just like the uh, event that you and I were at last week, uh, the mastermind, you know, the people that were there, most of them got to facilitate one of the sessions. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's bringing them on board. It's like, they didn't have to, they could have, but you know, where can I, in what I'm doing, find people around me and bring them on board, give them an opportunity to help. So so that's actually a perfect segue to my next question. But first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Ed Rigsby. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash 
cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of the show. So right before we did the commercial, you were talking about giving other people a chance to facilitate, to be part of it, bring people on board. One of the things I said in the introduction is you're a person who likes to bring people together. Many of the things you've done in the world of association and the world of speakers is you've brought people together. You put on this mastermind in Vegas that 20 some odd people came to to share ideas and things like that. Why do you think it's so important to focus on community and collaboration and bring people together? Why do you think people succeed more when that happens than when they're siloed? You know, it's interesting. Um, this is something I didn't know until a couple of years ago. Chris Voss, he was at the LA chapter of the National Speakers Association doing a presentation. And he made a statement. Um, and he says, you know, you, you, you can go fast by yourself. But you can go a lot further with the team. And, you know, it's something that I never really thought about that way. And it, it really kind of hit me. And, and I realized that a lot of what I do, I do uh, with the team. I, I try to bring people in. I think it's because um, uh, maybe there's an element of I'm lazy. I don't want to do all the work myself. It could be that. It, 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 it probably is more that I just like people and I like hanging around people and I like to find what people are good at and then uh, ask them, control them, give them the opportunity, whatever, to do something around that. Um, and then, you know, it just, it's kind of fun for me to kind of watch people blossom and prosper and it's give, <coughs> excuse me, give them, give somebody something to do and, and give them a, a modicum of support and assistance and, uh, you know, guidance and then let them run with it. And I, I can sit back and all kinds of cool things can happen and I can be part of those cool things. But, you know, I don't I don't have to carry the weight of uh, of, of the earth on my shoulders like Atlas did. I mean, I, 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 I can I can spread out some of that weight. I'm I'm OK with that. So I think that's kind of why I like it. Uh, I guess to, to summarize, it's I like people and I like watching people succeed. And I like people succeeding when they're helping me do cool things that I want to do. So do you think you'll slow down or retire? Or are you going to keep kicking kicking down walls as you go? Well, I tell my kids, um, my, my wife uh, accuses me of being a hoarder. I think I'm just a pack rat. Um, and, I, and I tell my kids that, um, you know, my garage is a mess. It's full of stuff. I can't put a car in it. Um, and I'm just going to leave it there and you can take care of it when I kick off. <laughs> and um, it's, I, I, a friend who, who you know that passed away several years ago, Dan Pointer, he used to always say at our Gold Coast Mastermind, um, that, that's another group that I started. <laughs> and we, we ran for 30 plus years. He, um, he used to say that, you know, people retire from things they don't like. And, you know, if you really like doing something, why retire? Because it's, it's, it's your fun, your joy. You know, Tom, you know, I've gone through a shift because of COVID. I'm not in as big a hurry as I used to be to, to, to run around the world and speak in front of audiences. I, you know, in my whole career, whether it was selling sunglasses or a professional speaker, I, I've never been home for, you know, two months at, at a time. And when COVID hit, I got to be home for two months. And I, I realized I kind of like this a lot. And so I'm trying to keep my travel to maybe only one trip a month. And, and, and I'm finding new ways to do things that I couldn't do uh, before, even like uh, with my friend Aiden Crawford, a lot of things I'm doing called uh, about three years ago. I called him up, said, "Aiden, 
I got a lot of really, really neat ideas. <laughs> and I'm never going to do any of them because <laughs> I don't know how. And I said, you know, I would rather have half of something than all of nothing. I said, would you like to partner? He goes, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's having somebody to do some of the technical stuff that I don't really want to learn to do. I, I can learn it, but I'd rather do something more important like, you know, go skiing. <laughs> and and so as long as I can remain relevant in the marketplace, I'm going to keep doing it until I croak. But but there's I, I think that we have to always reinvent ourselves to be relevant. We can't always do what we've always done. And and we're not going to get a different result. And so as we move forward, as we evolve, as we innovate, as we find new opportunities and do it in a way that's relevant to the marketplace, if we can do that, why stop? If you can't do that, well, then you probably should stop. Well, and I think that's great advice for everybody who's listening. You know, back what you said about what your friend Dan said that, hey, you know, people people only retire if they hate it. If they love it, they don't want to retire. They want to keep doing it. But your key to that is finding ways to be relevant and reinvent and carve your own path. I think that's an important part to being happy along the way. So thanks for sharing your story here on Making Waves at Sea Level. If somebody wants to find you, how do they do that? Probably the easiest way would be to go to rigsby.com. That's spelled R-I-G-S-B-E-E, not a Y, rigsby.com, R-I-G-S-B-E-E, like rigs and a bumblebee. And a bumblebee. Rigsby.com is the way is where you'll find Ed. That's great. Thank you so much again for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I be doing this podcast for seven and a half years and over 700 episodes? We do it because you keep listening. So keep tuning in and go tell your friends. Because here's the thing. Most podcasts are found not from Google search. Most podcasts are found from word of mouth. So go tell a friend. I mean, like right now, I'll wait. Okay, I will. Now, thank you. I'm waiting for the other people. Go ahead, go tell a friend. All right, and then come back. Every couple days, we have interviews with people just as cool as Ed Rigsby. And you're thinking, how will you ever find anybody this cool? We do it every couple days right here on Making Waves at Sea Level. So go out there and make your own waves. And while you're doing it, have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.